Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. A very warm welcome to this edition of the Weekly Beat, of course, brought to you by Mansa Media. I'm Arnold Segawa. I'm not alone as always. Uh, my co-host, uh, Maggie Mutis, is uh, joining me from Dakar. And uh, we're continuing a series on uh, the Global Commodities uh, Forum. And uh, today we'll be joined by Mr. Peter Williams, who uh, happens to be uh, one of the lead organizers uh, for the forum that uh, just concluded. Uh, it's only fair that uh, we actually reflect on all the happenings, the conversations that were and uh, still ongoing. Let me start with you, Maggie. Uh, you can always uh, throw over to uh, Peter um, after. How are you doing today? How's Geneva? Uh, it was pretty amazing. Thanks, Arnold. It's really great to have Peter uh, with us today. I mean, there's so much that happened in terms of progression. But again, it was a build up to the Anctured uh, conference happening in October. So um, seeing the conversations that really touched on uh, trade for small economies, island economies in particular, which we can really relate to coming from Africa was eye-opening. And I feel like the discussions opened up something really in terms of how to shape global trade post the pandemic. I would like to bring in Peter as well because there were lots of takeaways. I have so many things I'd like to point out, especially when it comes to commodity-dependent countries like on oil and minerals. It just felt like the time is now and we have got to follow. And if we cannot follow, then we're just going to be left behind. Peter, for you, looking at the things that have happened or the conversations that happened in those three days, what were some of the takeaways that you could share with our audience? Thank you, Maggie. And it was a privilege for me to be involved and to help host what was the first virtual, fully online UNCTAD event. As you know, the COVID pandemic put paid to the plans that the government of Barbados had to host the event in person. Uh, we would have loved to have, have everyone here on our lovely island. Uh, that did not materialize and it was delayed from 2020. It's a quadrennial event and uh, the last event was indeed in Kenya 16. So it was supposed to be hosted in 2020 and uh, was postponed because of the pandemic. Um, the first event, as you said, was the Global Commodities Forum, which uh, I had the honor to lead, along with my colleagues, Jean-Vier, Marco, and uh, the team from Geneva. And we had the two studios, one in the Palais in Geneva, uh, one in a small studio in Barbados. And, you know, the panelists and the contributors joined from their home countries or wherever they were in the world, which indeed... Again, I think, you know, brought home to us the international nature of this event. And uh, we had voices across both time spans as well as geographies. So persons who were in Australia in the early morning, right through Africa, Europe and continental U.S., as well as importantly for us, the Caribbean, because um, this was the first time a small island state has hosted the event. Um, Barbados is very small, only a population of just under 300,000. 166 square miles or 440 square kilometers, so a very small island, but nonetheless very proud to have uh, been able to host it. Features of the event were uh, water and water security, food and food security, and then the all-important energy transitions, uh, both from the perspective of oil-dependent nations, the exporters, and how they're going to transition in this uh, era of a climate crisis and emerging technologies on the renewable front as well as the countries that are now currently oil dependent, 
and are moving away from oil in such a country as Barbados. And uh, certainly we had very interesting perspectives from both sides. And that included quite a, a significant contribution from uh, the mining community, because as we move to more and more renewables, uh, we're not going to be certainly mining, as I would say, oil and gas. But there are a lot of um, minerals that are required to produce the batteries and the systems that will drive the renewable energy and enterprise. And as such, they need now to be done, you know, extracted in a very environmentally friendly way and managed in a way that helps build the development of those countries where those minerals exist and not just exported en masse to existing developed countries. Maybe we can explore a bit more in each area. Um, Peter, if we were to talk about uh, this whole issue around commodities, which you've already touched on, something that keeps on coming up, at least for many developing economies, is uh, uh, the issue around uh, value addition. And it gets hard to uh, talk about value addition when some parts of the world are still grappling with just a generation of energy. You know, I want to even just say electricity. Given your background, I understand you've been managing director of uh, Barbados Light and Power Company Limited, you know, among other things. How then can we talk about value addition respective of the conversation around generating renewable and efficient green energy at a time when people are talking about a fourth industrial revolution? Do you get the sense that at times, you know, people are fighting battles on like, what, 15 fronts? Uh, I believe so. As you said, I've come from an electric utility background. And many countries, including those in the Caribbean, have been grappling with just the basic provision of a reliable, affordable electricity service. Um, and I say, just as we got it right, the, the rules changed, the game changed, because many of us in the utility business have been trying to build up reliable, large-scale transmission distribution systems, put in place reliable generating plan. And now we're facing a new paradigm in the energy and electricity system where, you know, central, large central generation will not be the, the main driving force. It's now going to be individual homeowners. So indeed, on my own home, um, I have solar electric on my roof. I've got a battery system that is both supporting my home, but also can feed back to the grid. And I've got an electric vehicle. So Barbados definitely is at the forefront of trying to manage this change. And maybe we are well-placed because we're small. So we've gone from um, a situation where we have no rivers and no natural sort of sources of energy. Uh, we do have some natural gas on island, but we've gone from, you know, a zero renewables pretty much in 20. 10, 2011, where we're now uh, almost 10% of renewables, mainly from distributed solar. Uh, we had, you know, again, no customers with solar on their rooftop. Um, so we are in the midst of that transition. And that in itself brings its own challenges as to how you manage the grid. But it is a challenge that we all have to face and cannot shirk away from because, again, Barbados, along with small island states, are very vulnerable to the climate crisis. And we have to be at the forefront of driving this change if we want to lead by example. Peter, I want to bring in something. When you mentioned, and of course, some of the presentations we have made about Barbados and then the effects of climate change and how we see this transition faring out in Europe, does it seem too far a dream for some of these countries to achieve? And I understand there's been the point that we have to transition regardless. This is here and we have to get on board. How would this really fare out? It's quite 
confusing a little bit. I don't know what you think. I don't know, Peter, but realistically, you think about it, the amount of investment or the amount of adaptation it has to happen. And looking at countries in Europe that have really gone a step further and back to some of these countries, it's a question of, is this even achievable? Or are we looking for a couple of hundreds of years from now? Oh, no, I think we have to move. And uh, I think there will be the leaders in the world. Um, and I certainly hope Barbados will be among them. And as often there is, there will be the laggers, those who are either reluctant to change or may not have the resources and capacity to change as quickly. But we have to change. And I don't think the climate crisis is going to wait on us and slow down because of our inaction. So we have to make those shifts. And I think, Arnold, just to the point you made earlier, and I may have not addressed it properly, is that, you know, who stands to benefit and where is going to be the value add? And I think uh, if you look in the world, um, there are past history exploitation with very little value being left on island or in large countries in Africa where resources have been extracted and moved to developed countries, processed and sold at a tremendous uh, value add to the end consumer or to, you know, other industries. Um, mm. And I think that paradigm, again, has to change where we see that those who are involved in whether it's mineral or indeed whether it is uh, creative ideas, that those ideas and the benefits are, you know, redound to those in the country. Otherwise, we will see uh, ongoing disparity of wealth, prosperity among uh, the countries. And indeed, the UNCTAD theme and motto was uh, towards prosperity for all. And I think that that is something that we have to keep in mind, that the world cannot continue to be, um, you know, whether you look and say us versus them or, you know, richer and poorer, there has to be a redistribution of that wealth. And I don't mean by debt forgiveness and donations, I mean by opportunities and sense of worth and growth and development. You know, that is so essential. Um, Peter, it's not very often that uh, we get a chance to uh, pick the brain of someone with your kind of background. And it's always fascinating, given what you studied and where you are right now. You've practiced, is what I'm trying to say. And I'm very, very fascinated to uh, try and understand this, uh, the energy conundrum that we find ourselves in. The reason why I say this is, again, I'm going to take you back to the energy conversation because I'm, I'm very fascinated by some of your views. Um, the reason why I say this is uh, we've seen some countries, you know, policymakers and bureaucrats, they go out there, they sign a piece of paper, uh, you know, it's binding. And a few years later, not so much is achieved, you know, and, you know, reports are now coming up that what we might be seeing what close to two degrees in a, a few decades, you know, the earth is warming up. And this has me thinking, as someone who's like driving an electric car, someone like yourself, um, who's also relying on solar back at your house, how frustrating is it to sit down with some of these uh, policymakers? You sit down, uh, things are agreed, and a year later, nothing has changed. Let's not name countries or name names, but you know, we all know some people make commitments and they don't see them through. How frustrating is that? Um, it is frustrating, but I think you have to persevere. And one of the lessons I learned early in my career was uh, that, you know, making changes in an environment requires you to understand, you know, where your champions are, where you're, you're going to get your support to talk directly and individually, sometimes to the naysayers. So even if they're senior policymakers, you know, understand why they are not um, 
happy to make a change. Um, you're in the communication field, certainly, and uh, one of the things, again, that uh, utility, electric utilities were not good at was communication, uh, building understanding. And we've, I, many of utilities now in the Caribbean that never had communication managers or directors now have that position um, because they understand that they're in a world where communication is essential. So, yes, there are frustrations, but I think there are also now mechanisms to overcome those barriers, build bridges, build understanding and conversations so that we can get the change that we need. It is not always uh, easy, and certainly I've had my fair share of frustration with projects that have been promised. Um, you, you get all excited and you start to work on the project plan, and then someone says, well, we don't need you, we're going to do it ourselves as a government, or we're going to head off in this different direction, and you just wonder, well, what happened? But you keep persevering. I mean, it really... I think is uh, incumbent on the private sector, the public sector, civil society, everyone to press and push for the change that is going to be so important um, and to not let, you know, the maybe sometimes senior policymakers or indeed sometimes the utilities who are very much uh, sort of, I wouldn't say stuck, but very much set in their ways to you know, rule the day, you have to start to push and press and make sure that they recognize the importance of this change. Because I've, you know, again, coming from a utility background and certainly Barbados, as I said, has made significant changes and will continue, I think, to do so to support renewable energy revolution, if you want to call it that. Um, but I know in the Caribbean, there are several utilities that are very reluctant to allow, you know, feed-in tariffs, to allow persons to connect to the grid. There's a feeling maybe sometimes giving up their own enterprise, their own raison d'etre. Um, so they're not easily swayed to say, let us open the grid. They feel threatened. But that I think will change too, um, especially as you know, others set the example. I don't think it is a stoppable force. They can slow down in their, sometimes in their own event, event but I, uh, environment, but they can't stop what is clearly happening in terms of the cost reductions in solar, in other renewables. In terms of what the policymakers internationally are doing and saying, uh, we had on the panel, as you recall, Maggie, a representative of the European Investment Bank. And when you are looking at the financing for projects, um, European Investment Bank, I think, has made a determination they will no longer be uh, financing fossil fuel electricity projects. So if you're choosing to go that route, then you, you're getting now the pressure also from your you know, financial the financial side, your lenders, uh, your shareholders are come stepping in and saying, we want change. So it will be, I think, something which you have to manage as opposed to block. Interestingly, I want to touch on uh, something away, and that's trade, Peter. We just signed the biggest trade agreement, which is the biggest since the World Trade Organization was formed. And um, we're seeing a lot of um, disruption since last year when this trade agreement was really ratified. And uh, when these conversations are actually ongoing on how to get these oil or commodity dependent countries on the same stage in global trade, there is a, a missing link that comes to how possible is this even uh, supposed to work out. But 
again, in the case of Africa, on the SFTA, what I wanted to find out, with what we're seeing happening, being disrupted on the global trade sphere in terms of, you know, logistics being at a standstill because of the pandemic, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, having a few of those uh, trade between different countries, big economies, where does this leave Africa? Do you see, coming from Arctad, obviously with the support you're offering to these countries, is there a way that the FCFTA boosts Africa's share on the global you know, trade scale? Is this something you could give us some little bits insight into? I would say that my understanding and knowledge um, of the dynamics of trade in Africa is very, very limited. Uh, what I would say, though, is that uh, certainly we are seeing, obviously, new and fresh uh, approaches to Africa from the world. And indeed, again, Barbados, you know, we've just established our first uh, foreign mission in, in Kenya. Uh, so that, you know, for a small island to make a determination that we will have representation in Kenya, I think is not insignificant because we have to be careful where we spend our, um, you know, our dollars, as it were. Uh, and I think that, you know, you're seeing a more and more uh, vibrant uh, relationship between Africa and uh, the rest of the world. And as the shift takes place to between East and West, um, it will be interesting uh, times to watch and see how things develop. And I think there's opportunity there for uh, Africa to develop new and important trade relations. Um, and I hope that that includes the Caribbean, because obviously we have a very historic link with our, you know, with this not only just the slave trade, but I think in terms of our the Commonwealth um, and the development of our democracies. Uh, so I think there is important lessons that we can share and learn from one another, not notwithstanding very much the difference in size and scale, but whether you're from, you know, a small island like Barbados or a large island like uh, Jamaica and Trinidad, um, I think we have a lot in common with our African um, friends. So I hope that those links mm. will strengthen. Um, but even in the Caribbean, to your point, you know, the, the intra-Caribbean trade is not as strong as the trade that comes to the Caribbean from Europe and from North America. Okay, Peter, uh, many thanks for making time to speak to us. Uh, that was uh, Mr. Peter Williams, who uh, um, was one of the lead organizers uh, at the Global Commodities Forum that uh, just concluded uh, just the other week in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, thank you again, Peter. Thank you, Maggie, too, for uh, making time. Uh, Maggie Mutasi, my co-host. Remember, uh, if you did miss anything in the course of the week or the day, just uh, be sure to check out the social media platforms. Uh, on Twitter, we're at... Uh, Mansa underscore media. Also, you can uh, just uh, go through the website. That's uh, mansamedia.africa. I'm Arnold Sagawa. Thanks again for making time uh, to listen to our podcast. Of course, that's the Weekly Beat from me and the entire gang. Have a lovely one. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Sagawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Thank you.